We're starting a series called 101 in here where we get back to the basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And churches all over the country have different programs for helping someone who has decided they want to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus and to try to get them from point A to point B. How do do you get to where you're from where you're not a Christian or not a follower of Jesus to where you're a fully devoted kind of self-disciplined, self-motivated disciple of Jesus, where you try to do what he wants and act like him and think like him and talk like him and love like him. And, and so I talked last week about how we're, we're going to go through some of the just foundational disciplines or, or ideas that, that will help someone who is, wants to be a follower of Jesus. And the goal is that we won't, teach a man, we won't give a man a fish, but we'll teach a man a fish. So we'll put tools in your hands so that if you decide you want to be a follower of Jesus and you want to commit your life to him, these are the things you can do to kind of develop that in your life. And they're, you know, it's stuff that, that a lot of Christians take for granted, like prayer. And we talk about prayer a lot, but how many of us actually practice the discipline of prayer? And how many people would, would say they've mastered prayer? And that's not very many. And so... Uh, so it's a good idea even for people who have been Christians or, or, or called themselves Christians or wear the label Christian for a long time to get back to some of the basics as well. And so we're going to talk about generosity and, you know, what is worship? We believe worship is giving credit where credit is due. And what does that look like? How do you, how do you what, what, what does worship mean in practical terms? But I looked back at, at some, some moments in my life and I started, I used to be a traveling teacher, wrote some books, and traveled from conference to conference around the country and overseas, and, and during that time, I started a blog, and I went back and I looked at the very first blog post that I ever wrote, and it was a day that I had woken up that morning, and I was, I was planning, I was, I was going somewhere to teach, and I had a lot on my mind, and, and I started reading an article on creation versus evolution, and somehow that article led to theories of the atonement, and then that somehow led to the topic of sexuality and how does sexuality affect the church. And I just remember one morning spending like two or three hours just reading article after article and just being dragged through a bunch of topics that fascinated me that are interesting and and important. But I I was taking a shower after that experience and thinking, I could I could lose my mind. Like, I mean there's so much we can study. If we if we you could you could spend the rest of your life trying to learn what prayer is. You could spend the rest of your life trying to change your behavior or learning to multiply yourself or practicing generosity. And so, and we only have the right now. We only have this moment. And so how, how do we figure out where we're supposed to focus and, and where we're supposed to prioritize our time and our, our resources, our finances, our abilities? How, how do we figure out where that's supposed to be invested and spent? And it always came back to one word. And I'll bet from the clip today you can probably guess what that one word is. Anybody want to take a stab at it? It's love. Uh, earlier, the, Andrew and the team did a song where it says, I will build my life upon your love. And the New Testament and the, the writings that follow Jesus seem to indicate that the love is the foundation, that love is the foundation of everything. That without love, it's, it's nothing. And the author of 1 Corinthians says it like this, and it's, it's, this is a passage that's read at a whole lot of weddings and people don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about but he talks about, he said, you can, you can be Pentecostal. You can speak in tongues and, and have the gift of prophecy, for example. He says, if you speak in tongues, but you don't have love, you're, you're like a clanging gong or a banging cymbal. And I'm tempted to go clang those cymbals back there because it's an obnoxious sound, right? It's an annoying sound. If you've seen the monkeys that do this, right? It's not a sound you'd want around your life all day long. But it says, you can speak in tongues all you want. But if you don't have love, that's what you sound like. 
It says you can have the gift of prophecy, and it says you can have, you can have full understanding of all knowledge. So, so I can spend all my time trying to examine sexuality, trying to examine what do the scriptures mean, trying to understand cosmology. I can spend all my time acquiring knowledge, and if I don't somehow undergird that with love, it says I am nothing. It says I can do miraculous things. I can move mountains with my faith, and it really means nothing. And it goes on. It, says you, it even says you can give everything you possess to the poor, give over your body to hardship, but then it says, so that you may boast. But if you don't have love, you gain nothing. So you could even give everything in a way that is a self-centered way, where there's not actual love being expressed, and it will benefit. So you'll notice he doesn't say in this last part that you are nothing or that it accomplishes nothing. He says you gain nothing. So the idea is that love is the foundational principle of Christianity. And you can't miss it if you read the New Testament, that being a person of love is the center. My wife is reading this book called Contentment right now. And the author says this. He says, love is not the road to authenticity. It is authenticity. Love is not just a good idea. It's the only idea. Love is not just the first step. It is the alpha and the omega. It's the beginning and the end. To love God, ourselves, and our neighbors should be the first guideline for all decisions and actions. Until we love, we are not permitted to go further. The revolution of Jesus Christ was a revolution of love. It was a revolution of getting away from rules and barriers and commandments and moving on to the expression of God moving through people into other people. And so when we talk about what does it mean to be a Christian or what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, when Jesus went to people and said, come follow me, he was inviting them into a life of self-sacrificial love towards others. That's the foundation. You can pray all day long. You can give all day long. You can worship all day long. But if love isn't the center, something is absent and something major has been missing. Love is both the means and the mechanism of being a follower of Christ. We find out that because of God's great love for us, he who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ. It's love being handed down that even allows someone to be a follower of Christ. It's the great love of God that, in, that enables us to become Christians, to become followers of God. And then it's also the mechanism. So it's not just the means, it's the way. So the way forward is having this love. So the means is to receive love. The mechanism is to release love. In the three ways that the author mentioned, love of God, love of self, love of others. That, that's, that's the three areas to focus on. So Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So if there's love towards God then you will obey. And we read obey from the, the perspective of there's laws and stuff that we have to do, stuff that we have to follow. But he follows that up shortly with a new commandment I give you. So if you love me, you obey my commands. This is my commandment. Love one another. And, and there's, there's a time when religious leaders came to Jesus. And, and you'll hear this story every year or two in here because I just think it's one of the most important things that we can, we can focus on as believers. And... The religious leaders of Jesus' time would try to, try to argue with him and try to bring up difficult questions. And so they came to Jesus one day, and you see him in this picture kind of arguing with him. And they said, what is the greatest commandment? And a lot of times they were trying to trap him. And he, he said, he, who, who knows what he said? He says two things. He said, anybody know what they were? They call it the great commandment. That's right. Yeah. He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
And he said, and love others as you love yourself. And you'll notice you are built into that. Christianity is not a religion of self-hatred. It's not despising oneself. It's having a healthy view of oneself and then giving that to other people. And then he says these words. He says, everything you've read, all the rules you've followed, all the laws that you obey, they're all summed up in these two things. It's to love. It's to love God and to love others. So what is love? And every time I ask, I ask that question, I think about the Saturday Night Live video where it says, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Baby, don't hurt me. No more. First <laughs> Corinthians 13, which we read from earlier, continues. And it goes on to say that love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't want what others have. It doesn't boast. It doesn't try to build itself up and make yourself look good. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others or try to bring others down. It's not self-seeking. It's not about me. It doesn't go into a rage easily. It's not angered. It, it keeps no record of wrongs. That's, that's one a lot of people could focus on. Real love doesn't just try to, try to hold on to what people did that drive you crazy or hurt you even. It says it doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. And it always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres, and love never fails. And later we find that Paul is giving instructions to the early church, and he's talking about the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and transla translation of tongues and words of knowledge, supernatural knowledge and supernatural wisdom and supernatural gifts of healing and supernatural faith. And, and he, he, right sandwiched in that whole dialogue is this idea, he says. He says, really, there's three things that are really important. And he says, faith, hope, and love. He says, but the greatest of these is love. If there's anything that we need, it's love. And so I don't want our, our talk of 101, the basics, to get away from that. I don't want us to think if I just do this and this and this and this and I'll, I'll just follow a system that suddenly I'll be a good Christian. That's not how it works. The idea is that the love of God, that we are looking for the love of God, receiving the love of God, opening ourselves up to the love of God, and then letting that love come into us and through us. When we ask the question, what is love? Scripture mentions it over and over. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And the most famous Bible verse in history, John 3.16, says God so loved the world that he gave his only son for people. And so when we want to find out what love is, we look to the example that God has sent. And the example is Jesus, the revelation of God to man. It's, it's if you want to know, again, we'll say it a thousand times in here, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. And Jesus went around touching people who were untouchable, healing people who had been crippled or blind since birth, feeding people who were hungry, loving the outcast, calling people to him that no one else was calling. That was the example of Jesus. And so if we really want to know what, what love looks like or what it means to be a follower of Jesus, it means I give up me for them. And that's what we saw in the life of Jesus. So I have a couple practical tips today. And now that I'm looking at it on my iPad, I'm a little embarrassed that I ever did this slide. But I want us to have a new hairdo. I don't know. I, I really, 
I, re I really don't, and I'm starting to question all my life decisions right now. But if you want to be a, a lover of people, if you want to be the kind of, of love-filled person that God desires you to be, a huge part of that step, or a huge step in that process is hearing the opportunities to love. And most of us are so self-fixated that we just don't see. We just don't notice. And so I was hoping the little not-so-clever idea of the hear-do would at least stick in your head. And from now on, when you hear an opportunity, you'll immediately think, you'll, you'll get away from thinking, oh, well, that's interesting, or, oh, I'm sorry for you, or I will pray for you and never actually pray for you, that we'll get away from that and we'll move to doing something. That's love. Love without action is something else. I was at a golf course. This was several years ago. My father-in-law had been swinging my golf driver out on his farm. We were hitting balls into a field. And he hit, he hit the ball, and the head of the club snapped off. I may have told this story in here before. I don't remember. But the head of the club snapped off and flew into this big, heavy field. And it was my favorite golf club. I just, I mean, I loved this club. I felt confident with it. I, it's just hard to find a good driver. And I had it, and it just snapped. And I thought, oh, but you're my father-in-law, so I can't get really mad, but I'm just going to stand here. And I went to this golf club to try to replace it. So I'm coming in, and I'm, I'm looking through all their pre-used clubs and trying to select one. And I took one to the driving range and hit it, and it didn't quite work. And I came back, and I'm going through them. And I've been, I'm, I'm not even aware that there's this lady behind the bar there. So it's a country club atmosphere, and there's a bar, and she's standing behind the bar, and I'm looking through the clubs. And she says to me, she says, I'm sorry I'm not very helpful today, but my sister is dying. And I stopped and turned around, and I saw her vanish into the back room. And <laughs> that's just not something you hear every day. And so I went and sat at the bar and waited for her. And when she came back out, I said, I... I Maybe I misheard you, but it sounded like you said something about your sister isn't, isn't doing well. And she's obviously been crying, and she, she starts crying again. And so I sit at the bar, and we chat for 15 or 20 minutes. And her sister has advanced Alzheimer's, and they're just not expecting her to live very long. And so I, I, I talked with her about some ideas that might help give her strength through this hard time, and that I am a believer that God heals, and, and some other... Some other related issues. And you could tell she was just very thankful for somebody to talk to. And then we, then we prayed together. And it could have ended there. It would have been very easy to end there. But I made it, I, and I, I don't say this to blow me up, but I made an effort to stop by fairly regularly there for a while. Um, and her sister actually started to improve um, over the time that I was, I was connected with this lady at the golf course. But I would bring her books that, that I thought would help her through a, a kind of a period of grief and to handle the topic of healing and why God and things like that. And, and every time I'd see her, I, she, was, she would just express how thankful she was that I was there and, and uh, we would pray together. And the thing, one of the things that struck me about that conversation, about that moment, was as a, as a Christian pastor, somebody was asking me about this this week. Is this, this week, I got a phone call that... Somebody's mother was so depressed that she hasn't taken a shower for six days and is just kind of sulking at home, and, and this person is sincerely worried about her mother. I, I spoke with two ladies who have experienced divorces because their husbands were abusive. 
uh, I, I talked to, I, I got a, a, a notice on Facebook that a very close missionary friend of mine, his wife had died of breast cancer and the funeral is this week. And, 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 and then even just talking to you guys out, in fact, I'll, I'll just say this. I've, I've been hesitant to say this. I wasn't sure if I'd bring it up, but it feels right. I got a, I got a notice on the back of one of our envelopes last week. Somebody wrote something like, you say that you want to get to know me. What a joke. That's just something church people say. And as a person who believes in the hereto, it's, it's constant that you want to help. It's constant that you want to step in, that you want to show love and show, serve some way. And so let me say this about that envelope. If you're, if you're still here this week and I have done anything personally to hurt you or personally to ignore you or you felt neglected by me, I'm just a bozo and I get that and I would love to hear it directly from you and be able to connect with you instead of just kind of a pot shot taken from the audience. I would, I would, I, I'm sincere when I say I'd like to get to know people. But the point is, if you watch the world around you and you listen, if you tune in to people that are hearing, it gets a little bit overwhelming. And part of what becomes so overwhelming is not knowing when and if you should step in. So, for example, with, with these two ladies that I talked to this week who experienced abusive marriages, uh, being a male and being not directly involved in their lives, I will, I will want to see how I can help, but I will feel restricted on what steps I can take. Um, there's other people that are in, in self-destructive, on self-destructive paths that you know are going to end in terrible situations, but you know they don't want your advice. You know they don't want you involved in their lives. And the here-do is a challenge, is what I'm trying to say. But there's sometimes when you are openly invited. There's sometimes, like in the situation where I'm an absolute stranger, and she says, I'm sorry I'm not very helpful today, but my sister is dying. That was a cry for help. And sometimes, oftentimes, you're going to hear big cries for help, and you're going to hear little tiny cries for help pretty consistently if you watch for them. So when you say to somebody, hey, how's it going? And they say, oh, great, but boy, am I slammed at work. We're doing inventory this week, and man, I worked an 80-hour. It's a little bit of a cry for help. It's a little bit of an invitation to you to say, will you please care about me? Will you please care about what I've had to say? Will you please care about my life? And you're going to see it constantly once you understand the concept of the hear-do, that we're supposed to hear what people are throwing out, but then do something about it. And that might be as simple in that situation as saying, hey, how about if I take you out to lunch this, this Sunday? Or I babysit your kids so you and your wife can have, have, have a night off to yourselves. Or, or whatever. So it's the difference. The hear-do is the difference between hearing and doing nothing and hearing and loving openly and actively doing something. And then I've got another really awful slide for you. I want you to practice the prego. <laughs> I did. I did. The hear-do and the prego. When we pray a lot of times, most of the time, for many people, is probably a good way to say it, our prayers are situated on our life circumstances and where we're at. And it can even be what seems really great is, I, I just want to be closer to you, God, or I, I want to know you more or hear your voice or, or uh, please give me direction or provide me a job or whatever. And I, I can't tell you how life-transforming it is if you will take a moment in your prayer life to say, who else should I be thinking about? 
if you'll just stop, and, and even, even, if you, even if this was your entire prayer life, I, I feel like God would be very pleased with this. If you would just stop and sit, say, who do I know that's hurting? Who do I know that mentioned how hard their job is this week? Who do I know that mentioned a real-life trauma to me this week? Who do I know that is, is struggling? Or what single mom do I know that, that is trying to raise three kids and work two jobs? And when you stop to think, or, or it can be, who do I know that seems like they've got it all together and we obviously know that nobody really actually has it all together. You stop and you, you think outside of you. You think about the people in your sphere of influence, the people who you've heard, the people who have come along and spoken and you've heard their pain, but most of us walk away and ignore pain. And I just, I just think that's not the way of the cross. The way of the cross is to see the other people and to move. So the prego is this idea that you're hearing people constantly, and praying is bringing that stuff to remembrance. It's remembering the people that are hurting in your life and then doing something about it. It's, 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 it's one thing to hear. It's another thing to do. It's one thing to pray. It's another thing to go. And so it's hearing and praying and then doing and going. The very first sermon I ever preached at Daylight Church was a sermon on the topic of being thirsty, being thirsty for God. And I told the story of the Fisher King, but this was three and a half years ago, and 90% of you were not in the room when I told that story. You may have seen it online, but the Fisher King is a story that I feel like embodies this concept of the here-do and the pray-go. And the Fisher King is a story of a, a medieval king who loved the outdoors, and he would go out fishing, and he would even go in disguise and sneak out at night so that he could camp out under the stars, because obviously, like our president, he couldn't just sneak out, but there would have to be guards and sentinels going with him, but he would sneak out on his own. And one night, he's out in the forest, and this bonfire erupts in the woods, and as he gets closer, he hears the voice of God speak from the bonfire. And the bonfire tells the king that he has pleased God, and God wants to gift him with his holy grail. He says, I want to give you the cup of Christ. And he looks into the fire, and the cup of Christ is in the fire. And the voice says, anyone who drinks from this cup will be healed. And so the king immediately thinks, wow, what a gift. He says, if I can heal everybody, he says, people, people will depend on me. People will come from all over the world to receive the gift of healing that I have to offer them. I will be the greatest man alive. I will have a gift that no one else does, and everyone will admire me and adore me. But when he reaches for the cup into the fire, somehow the flames get on his arm and start to consume him and crackle and, and burn his skin. And the, the cup is not actually there. He, he, he's grasping for something he, he can't have. And this, this skin, this decaying skin, just grows on him over days and months, weeks and months. And it's climbing up his arm and it's painful. And so he starts sending out his knights to all over the realm to find the cup of Christ because he believes the cup of Christ is the only way he can be healed. And he sends out the best of the best. He sends them all over the world, far and wide, doing their best to find the Holy Grail. And every one of them fails. No one even comes close. No one even gets a hint that it's out there. A couple years later even, he's laying in his bed just consumed with these open sores and covered in blackness and a bleak life. And he just... He's just laying there moaning. When the court jester hears him moaning in the next room, and the court jester comes in and says, Sire, how can I help you? And the king says, water, water. And the court jester goes to the kitchen and grabs a cup and comes back and tips the cup up into the, into the king's mouth and pours fresh water down his throat. 
And when he does, the sores start to heal. And the sores start to retreat off of his body, all the way down his arms, all the way down his fingers, and they vanish. And the king looks up and he recognizes the cup, and it's the cup of Christ that was offered to him years prior. He says, what is this? He says, how? How could you? Where did this come from? Where did you find the cup of Christ? And the jester says these simple words that sum up the story. He says, I wasn't looking. I just knew you were thirsty. And that's the idea of the, the, the prego and the hairdo is that we see what is needed and we fulfill what is needed. And that fulfills what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's what the cup of Christ is, is to see who is thirsty and give them water, to see who is naked and give them clothing, to see who is hungry and to give them food. And if we don't talk about that and we don't lay that foundation before we talk about everything else, I believe we've failed as a church. That is the foundation of what it means to be Christian. 1 Corinthians tells us in the same passage later on, it says, For God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's a hard sell. It's a hard sell to say give up your life for everybody. It's a hard sell to say be overly concerned or, or intimately involved in everyone's lives around you and listen to those that are hurting and go and do something. It's Man, it's a challenge, and, and really, in, in my own case, and probably in yours, it feels impossible. It feels like something I couldn't actually do. It's, it's, like, it's like a workout program that's going to get me shredded. It's it, only uh, ten times past that. It's like, I think I could probably get there if I worked really, really hard, but I'll probably never look like Arnold Schwarzenegger or some of these professionals. It's just never going to happen. And it's the same way with Jesus. You're never going to look like Jesus. You're never going to match him. But what we find in the Bible is that God can do the miraculous in your life. You can't effort yourself to this kind of lifestyle. You can't, you can't muster yourself up enough to love people sacrificially and give up your life for others. But what you can do is what's on the screen, is receive the Holy Spirit of God that is offered to, to every man and woman and let him transform you and let him turn you into love, flow through you and love through you. There's a band called Dirt Poor Robins, and they're a Louisville-based band. I've quoted them in here before, great lyrics, but they have a song called uh, When All Is Said and Done, and part of the lyrics say this. It says, a simple path, the road less traveled, pick up your map, lay down your gavel. When all is said and done, only love is on. As we go through this series of 101 and we talk about prayer, if we don't pray with the foundation of love, prayer is going to be warped and weird somehow. If we're not generous with the foundation of love, something is off. If we don't multiply ourselves as people of love, we're multiplying messes. Love is the foundation of everything we do and everything we're going to do during this series.